0: is we're celebrating Epiphany. And so Epiphany, we turn to Matthew, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you'd like to follow on your pew Bible, you may. It's in, on page, uh, I believe it's 2, in your New Testament section. I invite you now to listen to God's word. <clears throat> in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews but well, we observe the star as rising and have come to pay him homage when King Herod heard this he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born they told him in Bethlehem of Judea For so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for his wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared, when he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for a child. And there you have found him. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening the treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. My first year in seminary, the then president of the school, Steve Hainer, was dying of cancer. It was a long battle that lasted an entire year. At the last week of his life, the school gathered to the chapel to pray. I've never been in a prayer service like this before. I found the service to be both frightening and uplifting. Uplifting because I gathered with faithful people, and together we prayed and we sang and we read Scripture. It was beautiful. Frightening. Because as I was gathering with the people, I gathered people who were not hiding. They were not vulnerable. They were completely vulnerable. They were okay with the unknown. They were okay with death. As we gathered on one side of the street, admitting our mortality, dust we were and dust shall we return. On the other side of the street, our president, our colleague, our friend was breathing his last breath. Perhaps the most memorable moments of that during that time were the words one of my professor professed. Looking back, these words changed my life. He was the MC of the prayer service, if you would. He helped transition from song to prayer to readings. And during these transition times, he would stand up, and he kept saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. This is what we do, Dr. Nishioki said. This is what a Christian family does. We join together as a community, not only in the time to celebrate, but we join in dark times. This is what we do. Get reminding us. This is what we do. For over 2,000 years, this is what Christians have done they recognized the darkness in the world. The Magi recognized it. If there is no darkness, there would have been no light for the Magi to see. The light of the Magi was so powerful that it reached beyond the walls of Bethlehem, beyond the walls of Jerusalem, reaching out to a group of Gentile astrologists. They saw the light. The light caused them to stop, be filled with joy, and to pay homage to Jesus Christ. The light of God is just that power. It shines in the darkness. Which leads us to the question on this New Year's Eve. What happens? Well, no matter how hard we have tried, no matter how hard we've looked up into the heavens, and no matter how long we've searched, we just don't see it. Christmas season has come and gone, and it felt as blah as the rest of 2023. Now, about 12 hours, the ball was going to drop, yet still no star, still no light. Still, no overwhelming joy. Which makes me wonder, in our constant search for light, what if light and darkness are not so dualistic as if they're in some cosmic battle with one another? But instead, we see darkness and light Not competing with one another, but working together. What if God uses darkness to show us the light? This is not to suggest that God causes darkness, that God makes a Christmas blah just so in a couple of weeks God can spring light upon us. God did not make King Herod an awful king just so so God could bring Jesus into the world. And God does not cause pandemics or untimely deaths or horrific diseases that take away our loved ones. And God does not cause the war in Ukraine or the conflict between Palestine and Israel. And God does not cause us to lose a job, cause the anxiety that's overtaken our young people. To say that darkness and light work together is not to say that God causes the darkness, but it's to say that God uses the darkness that this world produces to not only change us, but change the world. In Lettisburg, Germany, there's a Lutheran church. It's named St. Nicholas. It's named after the saint that Santa Claus was named after. In the 1980s, during the height of the Cold War, St. Nicholas Church was called to see the wall that divided the East and the West as an evil wall. And that human freedom was not just a political issue, but as a theological issue as well. So the St. Nicholas Church beginning to host its weekly prayer services for peace. At first, they drew just a handful of people. They would come together and light candles and pray. Word got out. And as word spread slowly, eventually, these handful of people grew into tens of thousands of people <clears throat> trying to get into the church and to gather around. On October 1989, the Monday night prayer circle service accumulated in a standoff between the peaceful resistance and this powerful communist government. The St. Nicholas Church admonished the flock to be nonviolent. Put down your rocks, they proclaimed. This is not what we do. The demonstrators put down the rocks and they picked up candles instead. When the Communist Ministry for Safety and Security arranged to occupy most of the 500 seats in the church for the prayer service that night, 70,000 people who gathered for peace gathered outside. They gathered into the streets. Meanwhile, heavily armed security officials waited on instructions from Moscow and Berlin to subdue the demonstrators that were ready to exercise their power and all their control, but the the order never came. The police eventually just gave up. The security chief priests watched the crowd whose freedom of march began in the church, the crowd who had heard the prolific witness of the church who was emerging from decades of oppression say, let us move forward with God's peace. The crowd which began with candles and prayer grew over the years to be enormous. So enormous that it steered fear in the credible, powerful chief of security. As he stood beside an army with tanks, tear gas and guns, in that potentially explosive moment, a security chief, ready to unleash his power at any call, was found saying, "We had planned for everything. Everything, everything. Except candles and prayer. A month later, the Berlin Wall came down. This is what we do. As a body of Christ, this is what we do. Barbara Brown Taylor has written, The darkness is not dark to God. And this can be terrifying for those who, like our deities, well lit. Notice uh, how terrified King Herod was. Right after the Magi arrived in Jerusalem and they asked about Jesus, verse 3 says that King Herod was frightened. Uh, King Herod, now he was not one to easily get frightened, just the opposite. He was one who was always frightening others. He was a ruthless leader. And over the years, he would go into these murderous rages, one time killing his own wife. He'd killed several of his children and multiple of his family members. Caesar Augustus is reported to have said about Herod, I'd rather be his pig than his son. The man didn't get frightened. And the gospel says that the king Herod shook like a leaf in the wind. Those first century Jewish people hearing this would have stopped. They would have taken notice. Each Christmas, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City has a nativity scene on display that makes people stop and take notice. And in many years, the elements are familiar. In many ways, the elements are familiar. They have shepherds and they have cattle. They have the holy family there. What is also unusual is that the manger is placed Not in a rustic setting of Bethlehem, but amid the falling ruined columns of a once proud Roman building. The theological claim of this nativity scene is clear to us, as it was to those first readers of Matthew. And whether we realize it or not, it's a claim that we make as a body of Christ. Every time we hold worship, we'll make in that same claim. Every time we go to a funeral, we make this claim. Every time we hold the hand of the hurt or feed the hungry or sit with the lonely or protest the forgotten, this is what the church does. Every time we gather, this is our proclaim. The humble birth of the Christ child literally shakes the foundation of our world. Which ironically, frightens us too. Notice that when the king Herod shook like a leaf in the wind, the whole city of Jerusalem trembled with them. Makes me also wonder. Herod represents everything in human beings, everything in human history that is haughty and cruel and violent and vindictive. Therefore, to avoid our fears of experiencing our world's foundation rattling. We, like the Magi, seek a shiny king. Only to be surprised we learn that the Messiah was not born in the palace in Jerusalem. Which also reminds us The star alone did not get the Magi to Bethlehem. It was not until the chief priest and the scribes and Herod and the Magi got together and ultimately held a Bible study. They learned where Jesus was to be born. Telling us no matter how much that we think that we can see God on the golf course, planting plants in the garden, or taking hikes, or sitting on our back porch. Nature alone leaves us with an incomplete image of God. Because left up to us, our God will always be that shiny object in the palace. But also, like the chief priests and the scribes, We can know our Bible facts, but miss the deeper truth. We can memorize all the verses in the world that we want to, but forget the gospel. And we can hear the prophets, but never see the Messiah. So God calls us together. Using everything that we have seen out there. To open up scripture. To read together, to listen to one another, so that we can go back out there together, looking for God's light in the most unlikely places. In an interview with the BBC, Archbishop Desmond Tutu told a story that he described as the biggest defining moment of his life. He was nine years old, maybe, and me and my mother were walking down the sidewalk. At the time, it was apartheid in South Africa when a white person was approaching, the black people would have to be expected to step off the path and kind of bow their head in respect to the white persons they walked by. On this particular day, though, I saw this tall white man. He was wearing a black suit, and he had a white collar, and he stepped off to the side of the sidewalk, into a gutter before my mom and I had a chance. Holding my mother's hand, I walked past this man. I watched him respectfully tip his hat and give us a smile. Tutu asked his mother, oh, why did that man do that for her mom? If that man she replied, he's a man of God. That's just what he does. She told me that he was an England priest. I knew then and there, that very moment, that's what I wanted to do. But even more than a priest, I sought my whole life to be a man of God. In just over 12 hours, that ball will drop. And today can be one of those days that we just put so much pressure on us to celebrate and have fun and, and, and feel the with joy. And if your heart is filled with joy, Go out and celebrate and have a good time. Enjoy it. Starting with Mr. Hill's birthday in just a few minutes. But for those who do not feel it, for those who just aren't able to see the light this year, that's okay. You don't have to pretend. That's not what we do. Instead, what we do is what we always do. In our joys and also in our sorrows, we come together, accepting each other for where we are. Me reading for you when you can't read, and you pointing to the light for me when all I can see is darkness. And from my point of view on this New Year's Eve, I'll give you this. When I look out into this congregation, I see the light of God. I see God's light shining through each and every one of you. I it in 2023. Every time I text or call or visit, I saw it every time somebody went to the hospital or somebody dropped off soup but they were unable to get out. I saw it every time a mission partner called the church and asked for assistance. And every time we call our mission partner and we ask them for assistance. I saw it in how you cared for our children and our youth and how you send them to camps, and how you cheered for them in their celebrations, and how you care for them in their sorrows—I saw it. And every time we opened up Scripture together, you were brave enough to allow people to have doubts, the question, the challenge to live in the gray. I saw it every single time where you open up enough to allow the Holy Spirit to change our direction. And as we look out for 2024, I know this congregation will continue to pray for those that are trudging through the darkness. I know we'll continue with the help of God to be a safe place for all the people in Lillington who want to know Jesus, to be a safe place for people to know Jesus. I know that God will keep shining God's light through this congregation over and over and over again. I know this because nothing that we are doing. I know this. Because the Holy Spirit brings us together. The light of Christ shines. Because that is what God does. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.